The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. Luck be a lady tonight, and tomorrow, and for the next 35 years of my retirement. No, really. I need the upside of sequence risk. Hey, everybody. What's going on? It's Alex, and I'm here with... Wade. And welcome to Retire With Style. Hey, Wade, side note. Should I have said, this is Retire With Style? I'm Alex. I'm here with Wade. I said our names before the title. What do you think? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that might be better. Uh, It doesn't matter. And no, it doesn't matter. However <laughs> many right. episodes in. <laughs> I think people get so it, right? Do you have any chit-chat for us? <laughs> yeah, I, I, in fact, I do. I do. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I'm getting a new front porch. That seems to be uh, all the rage oh, wow. at the Murgia household. There you okay. go. Yeah, you there we go. outside in the evening? Yeah, I'm actually trying to... I have like two front porches, and there's a smaller one. And I'm actually trying to set up a little uh, cigar area, potentially. We'll see. We'll see <laughs> if I can get away with that. A screened-in kind of cigar bar. Oh, okay. Wish me luck, well, Wade. Wish me luck. <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is that good? Did we so, did we hit our quota? Yeah, of, uh... <laughs> we've covered our quota of small talk for okay, today. Okay, what about well, that's me? That about me. People want to know who Wade is. You got to throw out some tidbit here. Not a whole lot going on. Kids are back in school. That's it. That's <laughs> all you give me. Coming. That's all you give me, really? Come on, man. It's still hot in Texas. <laughs> okay, it's hot in Texas and kids are going back to school. Yeah, Thank you, Wade. Good. Thank you. It's like peeling an onion. <laughs> so many layers. <laughs> all right, man. What are we talking about today? Yeah, but today, right, we're, we're going to continue our discussion of this question of sustainable spending in retirement from an investment portfolio in retirement. As we talked about in the previous episode, this is a primary interest to the total returns, folks. It is relevant for everyone because most any strategy does involve, at least in part, spending from investments. In the previous episode, we mainly discussed the factors at work in a more simple world of if you knew a fixed rate of return, If you knew how long the plan needs to last, if you knew how much money you wanted to have left at the end, you could figure out exactly how much you could spend every year. In this episode, we're going to emphasize the fact that market returns are volatile, that you don't get to know in advance what the return will be, and it will change over time. And so the implications of that and what that means for retirement spending. So we're effectively discussing why you can't plug in 8%, 8%, 8%, 8%, 8%, 8% year after year after year. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. It it could lead you astray very easily. It could lead you you astray very easily. There you go. (laughs) Plug in a high number like that. Yeah. There's a religiosity (laughs) component to this talk. Uh, And, uh, what are these things referred to as? I, I, I was, we, Wade and I were discussing, and this is one of these things that 
I don't know. Uh, it's, I've been in this industry for a while now, and you hear these terms come up, and it's almost like the professionals love it when there's a new thing to talk about because I, I think it, you know, it gives them in. This is why, you know, you know, this is why I know this inside baseball, right? And it seems to me the term that's been going that's been going around for the last few years is this the the term sequence of returns risk. You know, that's where you know invariably somebody says, oh, but, you know, I'm, I'm doing my, re- my uh, retirement plan and I'm, I'm expecting this and this and this and that. And then somebody who's listening in reads just a little bit more and says, well, what are you doing about sequence of returns risk? I, I, it, it's gotten <laughs> to that level of, uh, of uh, saturation, I think, where, you know, you may be in the know, you may not be in the know, but you seem to be using that phrase anyways, right? You want to maybe discuss it a little bit, Wade? Sure. And, and, to be clear, I mean, it had, the term's been around for a long time. It's even, you could say the 4% rule, the whole reason there is a 4% rule is because sequence of return risk. It is a hot topic in 2022, though, just because markets have been down, and that's what can trigger sequence of return risk to actually leave the world of abstraction and enter the real world of negatively impacting retirements. And Man, so that's it a is good, worth that's a good phrase, Wayne. Leave the world of <laughs> <Negatively> abstraction. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just come up with that, or have you been using that in your talks lately? No, that was that was all off the cuff there. <laughs> I like it. I like it, man. It's good. Okay, yeah, we got to get those SAT vocabulary. <laughs> but that may not be a good example. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, no, I, I, I think you're right. Uh, but I, I, I do think this comes up too in other areas where you were talking to me, me about a student that uh, was referencing the podcast and one of his answers. And, and I think this sums it up nicely, which is I, that student said something along the lines of, I have full faith of the market. Uh, you, you may want to finish it just because he wrote oh, it. Oh, no, I, well, I was just telling you, he was quoting you. So I yeah, thought but that, that, that never happy. happened. But I thought the phrase itself, <laughs> I thought the phrase itself was, the, the, I thought he came up with a good phrase. The market phrase, doesn't actually. owe you a retirement. Yeah, but then he explained well, what you why. Said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said oh, that. I <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the way he said it was something along the lines of, which I thought was nice, which I have full faith in the U.S. market over the long term, you know, having a positive rate of return, et cetera. But what he didn't have was full faith of those returns coming in the moment he retires. Mm-hmm. And that's the gist right, of right. that. Right, right. Explaining what you meant by the the market does not owe you a retirement. Yes. We believe in capital markets. We believe that the stock market will rise over the long term. But when you're actually spending from a portfolio, you don't necessarily get to fully rely on, even if my retirement lasts for 30 years, I can't just say to myself, well, the stock market's going to definitely go up over 30 years because it's not the, the average over those 30 years that matters. It's the specific order that those returns come. And if you get down market years early on, and then great years later on, uh, the great years later on don't get to help all that much because you've been, in the meantime, spending down your portfolio, spending from the portfolio, and you don't get to enjoy the full recovery. And so what the sequence of returns risk is, you're vulnerable to market volatility in a manner that we don't usually think about in the accumulation mindset. When you're in the distribution mindset, when you're trying to fund a predictable stream of income from your portfolio, 
the the sequence of returns matters. And it matters pre-retirement if you're saving. You're most vulnerable to market volatility right around your retirement date. And, And the reason for that is suppose I retire and I want to take funds out of my portfolio to cover my expenses. If there's a market downturn, I have to sell more shares. I have to sell a bigger percent of what's left to meet a spending obligation. And then that can start to dig a hole for the portfolio, where for my portfolio to recover, well, we've already talked about the issue of compounded returns. And if there's a loss, you need an even bigger gain to get back to where you started. That was in the last episode. (laughs) That was in the last episode. But that's further compounded if you're spending after a loss, because you then also have to make up the fact that you don't have as much money in the portfolio. You took a distribution. It's even harder for your portfolio to get back to where you started. And so you can start to dig a hole where market downturns lead to spending, which further depletes the portfolio, which makes it further more difficult for the portfolio to recover because you're having to use a higher and higher spending rate from what's left over. And then at some point, it can just kind of go out of control. And the market return that you get to enjoy over your retirement may be a lot less than what the the average market return was over your retirement because you were taking distributions. Yeah, but Wade, and this is without getting into the the next episode, frankly, but just in theory, Somebody could be listening to this and saying, well, that's why we have all these safe withdrawal rates, because they have taken into account retiring and and going retiring into a drawdown. Hence, what's the problem, Wade? It's, this has already been a, a solved issue. you know. And they point to this whatever strategy as, <laughs> as Exhibit A. What's your response to that? Uh-huh. Well, well, that is kind of that idea of let's just figure out how low the spending should be so that we don't have to worry about sequence risk. That is one of the legitimate ways to manage sequence risk. But it is getting us back to this issue of, as, as we all know, past performance does not predict or guarantee future performance. And sometimes some of those efforts to choose a conservative spending rate might be overly reliant on historical performance. Yeah, I, and that's where people have to make decisions about it, about if they're comfortable with that or not. Is it fair to say? And and I, I was thinking about this podcast series o- over the weekend. No, well, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know over the weekend, but a little bit, right? <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah, in all your time. dreams, <laughs> all the time, all the time. Uh, <laughs> during third stage of REM. Uh, no, I was thinking about this, and, and something that struck me, and and I don't think I'm too far off, and I haven't said this to you because I just wanted to get your cold take your hot take actually in, in this uh, podcast, but you know, for those folks that are, feel comfortable with saying, well, look, historically I've looked at the numbers and if I spend conservatively based on historical numbers, I, I feel pretty good that this will work. You know, that, that was kind of the question that I asked you and you know, that, that's kind of what we're going with. Right. I think that's akin to like a farmer who still uses like poor Richard's almanac. <laughs> you know, yeah, I get it. It's summer. It's going to be warm or it's winter. It's going to be warm. But, you know, like taking, you know, just it's actually worse than, than poor Richard's almanac, I think, because, you know, there is some certainty of the Earth orbiting around the sun, you know, and there's a distance that's pretty constant, you know, uh, you, yeah, 
please spare me the the things on the edges, right? But for the most part, there's this expectation, right? But you're kind of just looking at it and saying, okay, this is what's going to happen. The, the issue, I, I think people that do these conservative strategies, it's based a little bit like on that. And my issue is that there's no real theoretical reason why a specific spending strategy could work from an economic perspective other than, hey, it happened to work and, uh, you know, three years ago this worked, so why wouldn't it work now? You know, kind of thing. I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't subscribe to that. That's, I don't know. It's just my own thinking. Well, I wouldn't be so negative, though, because what you're really just describing is that total return, or not total, uh, probability-based preference. Yeah, you're right. Remember the research. Yeah, yeah, and it happens. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I'm, I'm reflecting my own bias because I am an income protection person at the end of the day for uh, for essential. I guess it is. I, I guess I just need a level of comfort around some sort of economic reason why it should work other than it's worked in the past. You know, some people feel mm-hmm. comfortable with that. So your point's well taken. Yeah, I mean, as a reminder, like when we talk about probability-based versus safety-first, probability-based is I'm comfortable relying on the market to provide a rate of return that will fund my retirement spending at a level higher than if I just invest in bonds. So I've got a pretty healthy allocation to stocks as part of this, and I'm comfortable relying on that to fund my retirement versus safety first, which was, no, I'd rather have some sort of contractual protection. Well, with what we're talking about in this series right now, we are firmly established in the probability-based mindset. And so what we're really just trying to do is work through some of the issues that should be taken into consideration for those with a probability-based mindset. Yeah. We're so not wait. saying if anything's right or wrong. It's just here's here's what you should be thinking about as part of your decisions on, on how much you think is a reasonable spending level. So wait, are you saying I got out of character there for a second? <laughs> you forgot your origins. You forgot, <laughs> I forgot my origin <laughs> no, no, story. But, no, no, but I you were just you. describing the probability-based mindset. It's, yeah, yeah. Okay. And if that's what resonates, I... I'm not anti. I'm not anti probability based. I'm actually probability based myself, but probability based and commitment oriented, making me risk wrap instead of income protection, like you. And well, nonetheless, we Bob. Bob is total return. <laughs> yeah, Bob is definitely total returns. Okay, so everyone's uh, different, and there's no. But it's all they're all viable approaches. There's no right or wrong answer to it. It's just what are people wired to be most comfortable with. And again, that's we're not really getting into the whole broad spectrum of different styles here. This is very much, okay, within the total returns world, here's how to think about it. And also as part of the discretionary spending with some of the other styles. Well, here's how do what we think about, thinking about? How do we think about sequence of returns risk within the realm of total return? Mm-hmm. So sequence of returns risk, in addition, I mean, we, we solved the longevity issue last week, but beyond longevity... Sequence of returns risk is this issue that can be the most challenging in retirement in a way that, because it's, it leads market volatility to be amplified in retirement more so than anything else. It's, I can't rely on long-term stock market returns. I need a good stock market return in the first few years of my retirement, or I'm going to be in big trouble. And so we need to think about how are we comfortable managing sequence of returns risk? And what we want to do in this episode is outline that there's, you can answer this question simply. There's four broad approaches to managing sequence of returns risk. We want to outline those and then just indicate 
which of these we're going to really elaborate on in the subsequent episodes of this arc, and then which uh, considerations are maybe reaching into some of the other styles more, or otherwise we're not going to have as much focus in this particular story arc of, of a series of podcast episodes. So there's four broad ways to manage sequence risk. And do you know what they are, Alex? Do you know what the first on the list would be? <laughs> you keep on coming to me. You did this to me with the four L's. <laughs> well, as they relate to total return or you know probability-based, it's kind of math. And we, we did kind of talk about this when we were talking about the payment calculator, but ultimately it's spending conservatively, being flexible around that <laughs> yeah, spending. So yeah, 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 we'll get to all. <laughs> did, so you ask me, did you ask me what are the four? I just asked what the first one was. Oh, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, we could name all four, but then we'll come back to No, 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 no. it ruins your style, you're in a rhythm, I don't want to disrupt, I don't want to disrupt the talent. <laughs> don't want to disrupt the talent. You go with yeah, it, so number one, number one, spend conservatively, and that means... We don't know what markets will do. We don't know how long we're going to live, but we're going to choose assumptions that we personally feel are conservative enough with regard to what's a low return we're comfortable with, what's a high longevity that we're comfortable planning for, and then figure out this is going to lead to a, a lower spending number. What's the, the spending number that we feel reasonably comfortable we could stick with and not deplete our assets in retirement? And that's the heart and soul of something like the 4% rule. So that we'll have pretty much a whole episode to dive deeper into that topic. And that actually the next episode in our series is really going to be about the foundational work on the quote unquote spend conservatively strategy. So more coming on that one. There we go. Number two. All right. Look at this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you can either spend conservatively or if you're in the middle of the road, you got to be prepared to be flexible about that. So Mm -hmm. spending flexibility. If you're looking for more personal advice, please note that our show is sponsored by McLean Asset Management. Learn more at McLeanAM.com. That's M-C-L-E-A-N-A-M.com. McLean Asset Management is a wealth management firm where we help you design and implement the right retirement plan for you. Spending flexibility is huge. If I'm able to reduce my spending after a market downturn, that helps to manage sequence risk in such a manner that I might be able to start with a noticeably higher initial spending rate because I have that flexibility built in. So individuals who are more comfortable adjusting their spending over time, it's a very powerful way to manage sequence risk. And it can throw something like the, the whole conversation around the 4% rule goes out the window because a problem with the spend conservatively approach as traditionally defined is you invest aggressively, but you have no flexibility for your spending. That maximizes the sequence risk. There's no release valve for that portfolio volatility. The spending flexibility strategy is really saying if if I want to invest with a, for growth, for volatility and growth, I need to be flexible with my spending. And if I am flexible with my spending, then I have a, a release valve for that sequence risk and that can let me just spend at an overall much higher level throughout retirement. Something that we'll have this, a whole episode on that. Something that this uh, has echoes of, Wade. 
are, and you know, it's funny, right? I, when, while you're saying this, I, I literally just thought of this, right? And uh, I don't did I use the word literally appropriately there? By saying I literally just thought of it, I, I have no idea. I was, I think that would be right. I, I, <laughs> uh, well, well, figuratively, well, just yeah. <laughs> uh, what I was getting at is the RISA. Remember how when we started the RISA, we we read all these books and we you know collected all these uh, concepts. Well, spending spending flexibility is really at the heart of one of the secondary factors. Remember accumulation distribution. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, accumulation sits very well with accumulation mindset, sits very well with the total return approach, because what you're effectively subscribing to there is that you're fine with variability in your income. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're recognizing that because you want the probability of those market, you want the successful, you want the manifestation of the probability of the market returns in your, in your you know, from your portfolio. Hence, you're, 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 you're kind of acquiescing to, yeah, my spending is going to be flexible because at the end of the day, that's, that's fine with me for the, mm-hmm. for the big picture. Isn't that interesting, Wade? Yeah. It yeah, really the accumulation into- uh, preference, it's definitely correlated with total returns. It's, I'm, I'm more focused on the growth of my portfolio. I'm less worried about having predictable income, i.e., I have flexibility for my spending, Whereas with income protection, you tend to see more of the distribution mindset, which is I'm less worried about maximizing growth, although you don't have to necessarily sacrifice growth, but less focused on that, more focused on predictable income as a a goal for my retirement. And therefore, if you're income protection, you may have less flexibility for your spending. To some academics will say, there's no such thing as a quote unquote safe spending rate from a volatile investment portfolio. If you want to have a volatile investment portfolio, you have to be flexible with your spending. If you don't want to be flexible with your spending, you shouldn't be in a volatile investment portfolio. And, and that's, yeah, to some extent, the, the implication of that is just, if you're trying to fund fixed spending from a volatile portfolio, it's it's just it's really inefficient, as we'll be getting into in more detail. So, the four percent rule, the the spend conservatively concept, it's really the least effective way to approach spending. If your total returns, you definitely want to put some consideration into a flexible spending strategy, and we will go into that in depth and as part of this arc as well. Okay. Wait, you're getting on my case for like jumping on the approaches for sequence risk and you're talking about <laughs> future episodes. No, we'll, we'll do a whole What's yeah, the matter we'll do here? Whole episodes here. No, no. All right, what's but the anyway, what's, let me put it on you. Three? What's no me? What all right, number three. <laughs> survey well, says number three is <laughs> reduce portfolio volatility. And so good? it's kind of the other implication of what I was just saying in terms of well, if if you kind of buy into this idea that if you want volatility, you should be flexible with your spending. If you don't want volatility for spending, if you want fixed spending, you should reduce portfolio volatility. But that doesn't mean simply just using bonds to fund retirement because the uh, level of spending that's sustainable with bonds can be so low that that's, that's... where, how, how do you want to do more than that? Is it with a total return probability-based approach or more with the income protection or time segmentation-based CD? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing there. It's a bit of a conundrum because 
you know, you would naturally think reducing portfolio volatility is increasing your exposure to bonds. But ultimately, when you're talking about a total return strategy, and Wade, you can chime in here, there, there's, I, I don't know, like you don't want to go more than like 70% in bonds because that's going to start to really affect your what your sustainable withdrawal rate is. You almost need to have a little bit of an equity, an over, you know, an over allocation, but, you know, over being more than 50% allocation to equity simply to be able mm-hmm. to sustain the sustainable withdrawal rate. So, you know, you could be looking at this, okay, I'll spend conservatively check. I don't want to do that. I don't want to spend, I don't want to have spending flexibility, but you know what? I'll just do a, an 80% fixed income to 20% equity portfolio. Cause that'll reduce my portfolio relatively. That's not the way to go. I, invariably. No, it's not. You, why don't you it's, take it from there? You know where my thinking well, it's is. Not- yeah, it's not giving you enough exposure to the risk premium from the stock market. If if you're probability based, but you're just investing in bonds, you're not going to have a high level of sustainable spending. It's almost like a time segmentation thing. That <laughs> well, that that's an alternative there. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Within the total returns context, I think one thing we can talk about in a future episode is. Michael Kitsis and I did the research articles on the rising equity glide path. Definitely there's some controversy there, but it's an example of trying to reduce portfolio volatility when it matters the most. And and we'll talk about that in a future episode. But then really with this reduced portfolio volatility category, that's more of an an, an entry into other styles, whether it's time segmentation, trying to reduce volatility by having that fixed income ladder on the front, so we don't have to sell stocks. So we can leave the stocks alone, hoping that they'll grow by the time we have to spend from them. That's also with income protection, moving bonds into uh, an annuity of some sort. And, and with risk wrap as well, it's partly reducing the volatility for spending so that you you might still invest aggressively. But if you put guardrails to protect your spending, that that's another manner where you're really reducing portfolio volatility. But those sorts of the time segmentation, the income protection, and the risk wrap, that'll be, we'll, we'll get to all those in more depth in the future, but that's not part of the current kind of arc of episodes that we're doing on this spending from investments right now. And if you're so playing a drinking game category. at home, I think we've said arc, I don't know, seven times, Wade? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what else to call it. We don't have seasons or anything, but this is our season our season on sustainable spending for yeah, investments. Yeah, yeah. So those are strategies that kind of are moving too far away from that core theme. Yeah, yeah. And then another one that moves away from it are buffer assets, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, and to make cuatro. a comprehensive list here, uh, <laughs> buffer assets would be the fourth way to manage sequence of returns risk. Uh, with buff- buffer assets, it's Something held outside the investment portfolio and, and to really say, okay, that's a buffer asset instead of just part of the portfolio. It's, I really don't think of it as part of my portfolio and it's not volatile like the stock market. You'll hear the term non-correlated sometimes. It's some asset outside the portfolio that hopefully has some sort of growth component to it, but is otherwise not correlated, not exposed to losses that is liquid and accessible and that can provide a temporary spending resource so that, say, after a big market downturn, rather than having to sell from my investment portfolio and, and lock in those losses, which triggers the sequence of returns risk, 
I can just say, okay, hold on. I, I don't want to sell from my portfolio right now because it's down 10 or 15%. I will cover my spending through the buffer asset to try to buy myself some time so that hopefully my portfolio will recover before I have to resume taking distributions uh, from the wait, portfolio. Just a, just a level set here. Because uh, at the beginning, when you were talking about non-correlated assets and this and that, can you provide an example or two of what? The, or I'll just say, you know, and then you could fill in. I, I just don't want people to confuse when you say non-correlated to kind of like the jokers on CNBC Power Lunch talking about, oh, you want <laughs> Ethereum because that's a non-correlated asset, or you know, or just silliness like that. Not that there's uh-huh. anything wrong with uh, crypto. I'm just, I'm just kind of like really poking fun at the folks at CNBC more than anything. Uh, but what does that mean? To me, when you're talking about this, it's it's not like, oh, gold or or, right. or stuff like oh, that. Yeah, you're, not, you're, yeah exactly. Yeah. I want to, I kind of want to. Go on. No downside risk is not, not only is it not correlated, but just it doesn't lose. It doesn't have losses. Yeah. You're talking so. about like the equity in your house, access to the equity in your house, or maybe cash value mm-hmm. in a life insurance policy that you may have. You want to maybe unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I. In my mind, there's really only three types of buffer assets, and occasionally somebody offers a suggestion of a fourth, and I usually I say, no, no, here's the reasons why that one doesn't count. <laughs> but the three that are kind of really the legitimate three buffer assets, the original one was just cash, that I have a big pile of cash. I don't really think of it as part of my portfolio. I just So I've got my investment portfolio, but then I have this stockpile of cash on the sidelines. And I don't really consider it other than if there's a market downturn, I'll just tap into that cash instead of spending from my investments. That would be a buffer asset. The other two are oh, life cash is good, value. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Having a big pile of cash. Yeah, wow. <laughs> you can be tops. like Scrooge <laughs> Yeah, you go swimming exactly. in it. <laughs> swimming in your cash reserves. <laughs> yeah, it's not yielding anything though. So you might also have cash value of like a whole life insurance policy or the growing line of credit on a, a reverse mortgage is specifically a variable rate home equity conversion mortgage. Those are the kind of the, the three, the three buffer assets that I'm aware of. Sometimes someone will suggest another, but usually it either it might not lose value, but it may not be fully liquid and so forth. And that's where this is all I'm really willing to say are the our family of buffer assets, cash, cash value of whole life insurance, and a line of credit on a reverse mortgage. Nice. And the idea, again, is just I have that on the sidelines. If I'm worried about selling from my portfolio because of losses and so forth, I temporarily spend from the buffer asset to leave my portfolio alone. And that can be quite effective in managing sequence risk as well. Okay. But for for this one, what we're going to focus on are the first two that we mentioned, spending conservatively and flexibility. And something that I, I realized when looking at all these sustainable withdrawal rates, you know, taking it from the 4% rule to all of these other derivations of it, there's, there's I, 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 there are really just ways to handle points one and two of sequence, around sequence risk. You know, there's 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 just different variations of how you want to spend conservatively or aggressively, and how you want to spend flexibly or inflexibly. Would you see that's mm-hmm. correct? I mean, that's that's all it is. I mean, everyone kind of has their own little style, if you will, 
But ultimately, you know, other than just letting it run, which I think the 4% rule lets it run. Once you pick a certain percent, then it's just a nominal amount. And it's just, you know, you know, tagged to inflation. You know, that lets mm-hmm. it run. But then you begin to put ceilings and floors around it. And, you know, things get interesting. But what you're really doing is just is just uh, tackling points one and two, spending conservatively and spending flexibility and, and spending flexibly, you know, to, to be able to deal with sequence risk. Is that a correct assessment, mm-hmm. Wade? Yeah, well, that's what we're really focused on in this series. And it's what the uh, total returns style would mostly be focused on is the available strategies for retirement. It's spending conservatively and spending flexibly. All right. So what do we hit up next? Yeah, yeah. So sequence risk is having to sell from a declining portfolio. Managing that risk is trying to not have to sell from a declining portfolio. And now we really want to start digging into that. So our next episode will be an episode devoted to the spending conservatively strategy as defined by Bill Bengen (laughs) with his 1994 article that gave us the 4% rule for retirement. All right. I can't (laughs) wait. I can't wait. (laughs) Bring it on. (laughs) There we'll, We'll really focus on the assumptions that went into that. We'll introduce what happens when you vary the assumptions, and then we'll start digging deeper into, okay, let's see what are, if we vary those assumptions, what happens, and how can we put that all together to decide what we're comfortable with as a spending strategy for retirement? Yeah, and, and I can't... That's, that's what's coming. Yeah, excellent, man. And I can't stress enough, listen, the, the, we're going to go into it, we're going to really roll up our sleeves, because that's kind of what we do here. It's called retirement researchers, not retirement... <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's well, good. it is retire with style. <laughs> yeah, sorry, it's retire with style. Well, the podcast, but you know, you you know, are the blog and stuff like that. Retire. I got I got I got increase the dosage to ginkgo. On my end, no, but you, you'll see uh, when we go over these styles. I think it's important to know the actual specificity of the levers that are pulled and the numbers are less important than what's happening at the higher level, which is how floors and ceilings are being set up around sustainable withdrawal rates. That's that's all I wanted to add. Mm-hmm. All right, everyone. Uh, we'll catch you for the next episode. Thanks again for listening. Wait, sign us off, man. Thanks, everyone. See you next week on Retire with Style. All righty. Wade and Alex are both principals in McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.